Dialogue Continues, a documentary by Sorry I'm in Studio. In this episode, we give a platform to design students at the University of Houston who came together despite their differences to better their community. Students get candid and testimonials speaking about their experience creating an open letter inspired by the Black Lives Matter movement in the summer of 2020 with the hopes to increase diversity, equity, and inclusion in design school. We will also feature testimonial from the Dean of the College of Architecture and Design, Patricia Oliver. She shares what the specific response was from the college to the open letter and what she learned personally from both students and the dialogues that followed. We want to preface that all of the testimonials featured in this documentary were recorded independently of each other. The open letter, the town hall recordings, and the diversity, equity, and inclusion task force report will all be linked in the description of this podcast. We hope that you enjoy this episode and that it inspires you to speak up for what you believe in. The dialogue continues. Good morning and welcome to Sorry I'm in Studio, a podcast delivered to you at the most productive hours of studio, 1 a.m. Sunday night. open letter uh, my involvement I, I was the initiator kind of like reached out to the other student organizations and I saw that we needed this open letter with like the growing movement of the Black Lives Matter movement I saw other colleges and other NOMAS chapters uh, starting to question the administration uh, I think we can all know that uh, architecture is very specific with its uh, education and the curriculum So I think as students, you know, we had that right to kind of question that um, and really, you know, this was an attempt to improve our college. And so I reached out to the other student organizations uh, because I wanted this to be an open process. I wanted everyone to be included, kind of questioning, you know, what we're learning, the processes and procedures of the college. That's how I got involved uh, after, you know, we started setting up some meetings, uh, it became more open. Um, which I'm glad, you know, more students got involved with the letter. Obviously, there was a lot of civil unrest in the country in general, a lot of protesting um, surrounding the Black Lives Matter movement. And uh, I was involved with a lot of that just personally. And so on an academic or professional level, I was also kind of watching the responses from institutions as they kind of started to be churned out uh, across the country, um, different schools of architecture making statements about the discipline's kind of problematic relationship with race. I'm a senior and I haven't been super engaged in, I guess, extracurricular organizations in my time at the COAD, but I definitely, feel really strongly about making whatever community you're a part of better and more accountable. So I was really excited to hear that there was some kind of momentum behind that idea, wherever it was coming from. Um, At that point, I had been working at the CDRC for about a year. So I had experience through that with I guess, facilitating people's ideas and uh, feedback and conversations uh, into something more cohesive. That was something I felt comfortable doing. So I I wanted to apply 
those skills that I had gained from working at the CDRC to an open letter to, to our college community. This was a combined effort uh, between all of the student organizations to represent, you know, the students, faculty, and, and professors. It was definitely a message and also an action that I really was interested in because uh, these are values that I believed in and also values that best represented AIS. I was one of the student leaders that was reached out to in the summer of last year to discuss topics such as racism, diversity, equity, and inclusion, white supremacy, you know, in our both history theory and criticism classes, as well as in our studio. And I would say in addition to that, also just like in our studio culture, I, as a student leader, thought that this was a really important conversation to have. And I also thought that it was imperative to showing and leading by example, to not only to my student organization members, but also to the greater school community, that these kinds of things are important and that these kinds of conversations need to happen, not only with our faculty and our administration, but also within ourselves. There was this big doc that was shared around through a lot of people to where they said, put down what your demands are. And it was kind of broken up by major. Um, so yeah, I, I put down some things that I cared about in the um, into architecture section, as that is my major. And um, I guess just hearing what this could be, I was instantly smitten. I thought, that is cool and something that I never thought we would be able to even do. <laughs> I just, I was like, is this even allowed? People think I can have a conversation with the, with the administration about things. I'm just, I'm just a little student. Well, no, you know, you're, you're a student here. You deserve to be heard. I guess the people who were spearheading this um, were just really, really welcoming and inviting. They were asking everyone, like, you know, what did you feel about this? How did you feel about this? And it was just really great. I mean, it wasn't a perfect experience. I can tell you that. Just as, like, an outsider that I was, I could tell that, um, you know, it's it's hard. It's something that not everyone agreed on. There were a lot of... Um, I don't want to say arguments, but wasn't all great. Let me just say that. It wasn't all great. It was obvious that everyone cared. Everyone wanted change to happen, even though we didn't all agree on how change should happen. Um, that was something I was really interested in, uh, being more involved in terms of more social justice concerns. Because uh, with my studio projects, I felt that there wasn't a clear connection in terms of being more in tune with uh, the people that we're making these projects specifically for. Once the opportunity was presented to me, I felt really happy that uh, there was that open call to uh, have more inclusivity, diversity, and equity um, in our college. I learned about it through our officer group chat in the COAD. And as with the president of SIDSA, 
I was interested in um, the curriculum of the industrial design program and what needed to be changed. I'm the industrial design uh, representative for the DEI task force. I'm also a sophomore industrial design major. Diversity, equity, inclusion have always been um, passions of mine. I think just growing up as one of the few minorities and like a majority white community um, this summer, especially with like the Black Lives Matter movement, I think I was more inspired to take action in my community. And I was really looking for an opportunity to kind of help with that matter because we do have some like to be completely honest we do have some uh problems but that doesn't mean that we cannot work towards a solution i wasn't as involved as i should have been or as i wanted to mostly because of some personal issues that i had that semester but i did add a little bit to the letter itself uh in regard to the curriculum and a few ideas on how we can extend it beyond we are located in one of the most interesting and very heavily gentrified neighborhoods of Houston and I always thought it was a shame that we have been wasting the opportunity to learn from and to contribute to the third world community. I will admit I am privileged and I am lucky to have these sort of connections to peers and to amazing you know um, student organization leaders and a lot of other students and people in general around me who are you know, passionate and really feel strongly about these topics. Um, and that's ultimately how I got involved. The letter changed me more than I really influenced the letter, you know, the, and the effects of the dialogue that kind of like rippled out from the letter. That's ultimately where I, you know, come into play. What did I learn? I guess... And, and having these dialogues with care, having these conversations with the open letter and in the DI task force as well, made me realize some things that I thought were just normal are wrong. I mean, um, why is there a culture of I pulled this many all-nighters, therefore I am really great and I, I care more than someone else? Why is there a culture of my model cost me an arm and a leg and my firstborn child, therefore I've done good? You know, it. why don't we have a healthier environment? Why is studio, why, why is studio so toxic? Why do we not have support for people who can't feasibly do that why are we happy about or i guess not happy but why do we have this weird brag culture of oh yeah people drop out of this major you know they they just can't can't handle the heat unlike me i don't know it just there's a lot there's a lot of things that i didn't realize were problems until someone looked at me and said that's not good <laughs> so yeah if there's one thing that I've really learned through the whole experience and that I think left a lasting impression on me is the fact that 
even as a school community, there are so many wildly different opinions on all of the things touched on in the letter. You know, I think that trying to be as inclusive as possible to all of the different opinions and thoughts in the community was important and was valuable because we we wanted to make sure that we weren't shouting in a void and that we were getting a wide array of different opinions. I know that at some point we even reached out to the international students because the um, writing of the letter kind of collided with also the fact that Trump had put in, or at least the Trump's administration had put in restrictions that were going to really impact our international students and whether or not they would be able to get their visas and stay in the United States for their classes. And we sat down with these students and we tried to understand some of the struggles that they deal with on a, you know, semester by semester basis of, you know, not only finding tuition money because they pay out of state costs, but also, you know, some of the issues that come with getting scholarships and, and all of these different things. Um, at the same time, I think that it was really challenging because the whole point of the letter was to focus on, you know, BIPOC students, Black and Indigenous people of color, um, and focus on some of the struggles that they have. And its counterpoint is the fact that we don't have a lot of BIPOC students in our school community. You know, Houston is an incredibly diverse population, and yet our school community is one of the lowest percentages compared to other colleges in U of H of, you know, Black students. And more so, I think we only have one Black faculty member in our school community. Um, and these are things that I think a lot of people don't think about on a day-to-day -day basis. People look at our faculty and they see a huge amount of, you know, Asian Americans in our ID program. And that is a little check on the diversity, you know, checklist and they see that we have female professors teaching in studio and they, you know, check that off the list. But at the same time, recognizing that we, you know, as a major and also as a career, Black students and Black Americans have been disproportionately discriminated against. Um, this goes all the way back to, you know, Jim Crow and our college isn't really benefiting that. You know, I think that a lot of the points of the open letter were ignored in that sense because of the fact that there was a lot in it. Like, I think that we tried to be as inclusive to all of the different demands that people had when at the same time, it, it I, not that it watered it down, but some of the more important points were glossed over because they were just thrown into the bunch of like, oh, well, the letter's outrageous. So like everything in there is outrageous. But I still to this day think that there were some incredibly poignant points that should be touched on and should be discussed at the administrative level of how we are recruiting students, of how we're advertising ourselves, of the kind of opportunities that we're offering students, you know. I, and, and I think that this also ties into, you know, the kind of economic disparities that we as students face as well. I, I think that, you know, these are all things that really should continually be discussed and continually be talked about because 
my studio professor maybe didn't have to work two jobs to make ends meet as an architecture student when they were in college in the 80s. But I know some students who, you know, now are working two part-time jobs, you know, taking care of their little siblings, trying to do all of these different things. And, and they're not set up for success. Like, I don't think that the school is necessarily setting us up for success in that sense. And that is something that I very much was reminded of and that I very much saw not only in the, in, in some of the responses from, you know, my peers, but also from the greater college community. It was not something that was done overnight. This was something that would, had multiple revisions and it had, uh, you know, several times where we just could not come to an agreement. And then also uh, at the end, there was a hiccup or there was a kind of a bump in the road when we were, when we were had to sign it, because this was something that uh, we wanted to share to our members of our organization. And uh, what, what happened was that uh, some members, they don't believe in DEI, you know, they don't believe in diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that's just how it is. You have to accept that not everybody shares the same values. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we're trying to represent uh, our organization, which was AIAS, which does believe in these values and will support this letter. So we had to cut ties with, uh, with a particular member. And we gave the approval, you know, we, but we, that, it was not easy to do that. I did have to reach out to nat- the national office uh, for AIS. This, this was not something that I could do on my own. It was unprecedented. It was, it was like, I've never had anybody come up to me or actually message me since we're all virtual. I never had anybody message me and was like, I don't believe in this. I, we shouldn't do this. Um, and then that's when I, several red flags went off and I really needed help. So I reached out to nationals and got like a prescribed method and see what they thought of the whole situation. But it was, it was, it was a good conversation. Did you draw something specifically from the experience of creating the letter? And if so, what was it? I would say this is a, it was really existential phase and moment. It was really existential for me. Um, there was a lot of questioning of myself and how, you know, what's, what, where am I in the fabric of the school and where am I in the fabric of the world? Um, and, and I'm sure this was, you know, the same for many students in general, but it felt really strange to question what we as students could ask for and demand for from the school, you know, like the questions like, are we worthy enough to ask for this? can we really demand this? It felt kind of sad knowing that other students kind of shared the same thought um, and, you know, were questioning their self-worth and like how, you know, their self-worth related to their academics. It, it was, it was sad. I, I learned so many things and I'm, I'm so lucky that I was able to listen to a lot of students um, and their stories and, a lot of them were heartbreaking and I'm, I'm really lucky that I've never really experienced, you know, a, something not good with faculty. You know, I, I've been surrounded by really good faculty, but then 
you know, more things and more dialogue over the summer, it, and then it, you know, extended outwards into like the school year, just they were being seen more, you know, and I think that's, a, that's the same way. And it kind of mimicked what was going on in, you know, in our political, um, I guess, environment at that time, like, you know, these problems, they're not, they're, they're not just coming up right now. They've been there and, you know, people have been, you know, I've been kind of groomed to turn a blind eye and not see it. I've, I've been groomed to be colorblind and it was, it was terrible. And it felt awful to know that I was, you know, contributing to a system that was not, you know, good for other people. And it helped really for me, um, to be part of, you know, the, the dialogue of the letter and the things that stemmed out of it. Without pointing any fingers, uh, it basically like the experience helped me realize that we all have different priorities in life. And uh, the issues in the letter that we raised were very important issues, such as like lack of diversity and uh, toxic studio culture. But not everybody could look past their privilege and relate to these issues. But I also realized that it takes a lot of, it requires a lot of empathy to explain to people uh, what we go through so they could understand it better. Throughout the process of creating the letter, I was able to reflect on specifically the industrial design program and SITSA and what we could work on as an organization independently. So we created our own initiatives that we released around the same time of the publishing of the letter, outlining our organization and um, what we wanted to focus on moving forward in terms of um, more diverse speakers and more outreach to uh, local high schools. And um, it basically shaped the tone of the year for us and what we wanted to focus on. So that was that was really valuable. Um, the other part that really we could not have expected was the alumni support that we had from the ID program. So after after the letter was published and after our initiatives were published, um, a group of ID alum actually came together, joined forces, and created their own alumni group to help support us, realizing that um, they wished that they had had you know, that kind of support, I suppose, whenever they were in school. And so they created that for us and gave that opportunity to us. So that has been really, really awesome. Just having all that support from them. So they've been doing all sorts of workshops and panels and things for us. Um, and we're just incredibly grateful. I wrote the letter around demands that we had come up with collectively. So I think that that experience was really interesting for me just because, um, I mean, writing is a big part of what I do at the CDRC and it's a big part of what I've done like in my time at UH. So it's definitely something that um, I consider like one of my main skills or like ways of contributing. Um, and I think it was really special for me to be able to, in a way, like be trusted with so many people's ideas. Like I felt, uh, I guess, so like honored to be in a position of putting together all of this really valuable reflection and conversation dialogue that had happened at those meetings. Um, so I think that just on maybe a personal level, like it was really special for me to have the opportunity to 
in my own way, like the, the text of the letter, which I know like got a lot of criticism and maybe there's a lot of people who think it should have been written differently or in a different tone. But like the text of the letter was in a way like, like my way, my primary way of contributing to that movement was finding a way to, to put words to what I was hearing the other people in my community saying. So I, yeah, I would say that that's the main thing that I got out of it. And then also, of course, I, maybe on like a less um, touchy-feely, like wishy-washy <laughs> level, um, I've definitely learned a lot just about organizing in general from this experience. Uh, and, you know, there was so much momentum over the summer and the months following. And it was really difficult, I think, to see that momentum kind of ebb. Uh, you know, we did the dialogues in the fall of 2020, and I think that some really great conversations happened there and some really great stuff came out of those. But at the end of the day, um, you can't expect people to just do unpaid labor forever with no institutional backing, with no even, even institutional encouragement. And obviously we had a lot of allies in the faculty and, um, you know, uh, that that's great. But at the end of the day, like that was work that we were all doing for free. Um, and it was work that started to feel less meaningful as it became more and more clear that it wasn't being valued by some of the key administration uh, at, at the college. So that was a maybe less uh, heartening lesson that I learned. Yeah, I think everybody has very different um perspectives and that was one of the biggest lessons that I learned throughout this the student body of our U of H is so diverse like everybody has very different experiences and um, how they've been treated in the university so I think it really expand my perspective on how different and how diverse we are as a student body what I learned from this experience was how to communicate with people from different mindsets and also listening to people with kind of different issues or uh, different viewpoints, of course. And for example, like, you know, this was an open letter to all three majors as well. And, you know, going to these meetings and having discussions and listening to people, uh, it was interesting to hear the other majors' perspective as well, maybe like even ID. Uh, and what issues that they come across with their classes and their their kind of viewpoint was very interesting because, you know, we're stuck in the same college, but never had I experienced some things that uh, an ID student might uh, when it comes to their project and communicating with their professors. So I think that that was a major experience to kind of learn and to be able to listen to other students. I think it was successful and starting a conversation, whether that was a positive conversation or a negative conversation, or there was a little bit of an argument in that, I think it was successful then. The response, no. I think an, another kind of thing I learned from this was how to uh, take critique and be able to move on from that. Uh, I think there were some negative responses and uh, there were some of my friends as well who didn't really agree with the letter completely, you know, didn't support it. And so and in those moments, like, you know, it did it did kind of hurt me. I did take it a little bit personally um, because, you know, this was something I initiated and 
I feel like some people were offended as well from, you know, this work. Uh, and that's not what it was meant to do, obviously. You know, this was supposed to be a collaborative experience um, to hear hear voices from any perspective. And so the response uh, when it was negative, it, it did like take a toll on me. Um, but I, I think that, you know, that's where I learned. And so it, it was successful in starting that conversation uh, and being kind of the first step into change. And so I, I am uh, pleased with that. Um, as far as the response, though, I, I just wish that more people were involved. So there was more um, of a positive response to that. Am I satisfied with the response and do I think it was successful? I'm satisfied in the sense that the letter was very <laughs> radical. I don't know if that's the right word. I, I I don't necessarily think it was radical, but I know a lot of other people in the community who think it was very radical and who thought that we were you know, trying to be problematic for the sake of getting a rise out of others. And that's not the case at all. I'm, I'm glad that people had very strong visceral reactions when reading it. You know, I remember when we were drafting the letter, I, I mentioned to one of the my co-writers that uh, the word demand was was really aggressive. And she just looked at me and she was like, we need to be aggressive. Like, this is the only time in our lives that we can actually be aggressive about these kinds of things. You know, I'm a student. I, I don't necessarily, you know, have a whole lot tying me back from being aggressive. And I think that that's a, a really beautiful way to view these kinds of things. You know, I'm satisfied in the fact that people were upset. I, I really am. Do I think that the letter was successful in a way? I, I, I kind of don't because the whole point of the letter was to instigate active change in our community. Um, I very clearly mentioned that to the other student leaders. I told them that I thought that the letter needed to be more than just a call to action to talk. It needed to be a commitment to being better student leaders and to being better representatives for our greater community. You know, I, as a student leader, want to commit to being more inclusive, to being more representative of all different demographics, of making sure that everybody feels like they have an opportunity to voice concerns, to voice demands, if we're going to be aggressive about it. And I, I sometimes feel as if not just the administration, but all of us as students and as student leaders haven't necessarily held up our side of that commitment. Um, I think that there's a lot of reasons for that. I don't think that it's necessarily the fact that people don't care. I think that it's also the fact that COVID is rampant. Students are working at home. We're all feeling burnout. We're all feeling tense. We're all trying to just make it through another semester. I, I can't blame a student who's already struggling that they're not going to be actively engaged in a hour long conversation once a week when they have other priorities in their life. So I, I don't think that it's necessarily the student's fault. Um, I more so think that it's the college's culture's fault that we don't value these kinds of opportunities. You know, and in a lot of cases with the open letter, we wanted to push for more dialogues. And so we pushed not just ourselves, but also our faculty to come and join us for weekly conversations throughout the fall semester and to discuss ways that we could refine the open letter and set active, you know, commitments and active goals. 
And we tried to push faculty to, you know, get their students to come. You know, we wanted to engage with the student body. We wanted to invite everybody to come. And it didn't matter how many emails we sent out. If the faculty and the administration and the college culture is not inviting students to participate in these things because these things are valuable, then they're not going to show up. You know, I've seen thousands of emails about lectures and you don't see that same kind of push from professors and from the administration to, you know, go to these kinds of conversations as students. And I think that that's one of the faults of why the letter wasn't as successful of creating actionable change. Am I satisfied with the response and do I think it was successful? Yes and no. Yes, because it sparked so much dialogue. And I'm going to say that a lot. I really am. You can count how many times I say it, but it sparked so much dialogue among the student body. And, and you know, and once the letter came out, I remember in, in private group chats, you know, students were starting to comment on the letter and students were defending it. Students were also talking against it. It was it was really strange and interesting to think. And I, I feel kind of guilty, too, but because for some reason I, I thought that, like, you know, as a student body, like, we all think the same. And I don't know whose fault is it? No one's, I guess, or I'm not really sure. But, you know, it really showed the current state of the student thinking, which is very way like it's vastly different, you know, as as a student representative, you know, as much as I really want to help students with this kind of privilege and power that I'm given, like I'm soon learning that even like one, two students could not even like they can't represent the student body alone. That's that's so much pressure on the students themselves, like the, the student representatives. But at the same time, there are so many views out there. And I, I hope that faculty and the administration could really see the value in these student representatives. You know, the college culture is not just, you know, the people that stay there for a long time and run the place. It's the people who, you know, are in co-ed for one to five years or you know just two years that like even though we are brief that that is the student body that is student culture and that's that's college culture and i am really happy um of you know the several things that kind of sprouted from it you know subtly i really appreciate and i really love just how several professors, my professors, uh, I'm proud of them. They're they're amazing. They they helped me grow, and I'm really happy that they were so open to you know trying new ways of thinking and you know seeing the value and you know for example seeing the value of of serving the community first rather than you know making something with like design with a big D. You know like it's it was it's refreshing and it's lovely and i'm happy that several other courses started developing too from that you know um michael kubo's class with uh rethinking uh design art like design education that's that was awesome because he's providing us with a lot of different text and i don't know it's it's just it's it's awesome to see that they're not quite stem from the open letter but you know i would say it's kind of like related um i'm also part of like the design justice class and honestly like i i love and i appreciate that kind of dialogue that's happening and it's 
I think it's it's so important that the student body in the school school is pointing out these issues and these injustices and these inequities that are happening within the school. You know, it's good to point it out and go from there. Had this all happened whenever we were in person, I think the results would maybe feel more tangible because we'd be able to gather in person and have more direct conversations. But because it's all happened while we're virtual um, and we're not in the in the four walls of the building, you know, I can't really say what the results have been. I also can't speak for how the architecture curriculum has changed. I know that in industrial design, we've um, focused a lot, at least in my studio this semester on like human centered, trying to work towards more participatory design projects. And that's been really great. Um, Like uh, last semester, I was able to do a project on environmental racism and embody that issue within a, a product. Well, a, actually a piece of furniture as um, a, a starting a dialogue, basically. And I don't think that we would have been, well, I'm not going to say we wouldn't have been encouraged, but it was definitely, the project was to address issues faced by marginalized voices and communities and people. So that project, I think, stemmed directly from the letter and that allowed us to open our eyes a lot more to issues that we probably wouldn't have focused on otherwise in our in our curriculum. But I have to also say that I really appreciate the way that our ID faculty have listened to us throughout this entire um, process because we are, you know, it's five faculty uh, for ID and we're all a really tight-knit community. And um, we had a an ID town hall back in the summer where we spoke about the grievances that we had as students and they listened to us really well. And I think that they gave everything a lot of thought whenever they were developing the curriculum for this, this academic year. So I really appreciate the fact that everyone has, at least in our program, has um, been really great at listening to us and working with us to figure out how we can continuously improve the program, especially our director, um, Dr. Unsa Kwan, um, has just been really awesome throughout this entire process. Two things that came out of the letter that I think were really valuable were two classes that I'm actually taking this semester. So one is called Rethinking Design Education, and that's taught by Professor Kubo. And that class has been really interesting because it's allowed us to um, challenge the the normal function of design school and like what that means, um, what is design pedagogy, how has that evolved um, in the last, um, say, 100 years, uh, and what should that look like moving forward? That's been a really interesting class. And then design justice, which is which has been taught by uh, a couple different architecture and ID professors. And so in that class, it's like a one-hour lecture once a week. We dive into different issues of design justice and really start to break down um, communities that are affected by these different issues and how we can go about creating solutions. Um, I've really enjoyed that class uh, because I think it's made me think a lot more critically about my role as an industrial designer. Am I satisfied with the response? To a level, to a level. Um, yeah, I'm not fully, I'm not fully satisfied with the response from the college. Uh, I believe that you know, sometimes it feels like they do kind of push it off. I know that a lot of people have, 
have other priorities within the college. But this was something that the student orgs came together to do. So you would hope that the faculty or the administration actually would be more proactive in, in listening to us and trying to get it done. I'm glad we're going in the right direction because they, they have taken steps. Like, don't get me wrong. They have uh, started acting on it, just not to the level I would have hoped for. But, um, you know, baby steps. That's all we can do. It was something that was that was kind of waiting to happen. Like, just from the general reception between each organization, the general reception with the students uh, and, you know, who we talked to, to get to uh, brainstorm ideas, it was something that was waiting to happen, and I'm glad that it that it got on the way, because you know, oftentimes we push things back. We are busy with you know school, especially in the College of Architecture and Design. So it was really good that we did it. You know, I mean, that's all you could hope for at the end of the day is that you did it. You know, <laughs> and now we're seeing it develop. And um, I can only hope that we continue to support this um, and it doesn't get pushed off to the wayside. I, I would, I'd like to have like a final word on that. As far as the organizations go, you know, we all kind of have the same hope that, you know, we're helping students and that we're really getting everybody involved and we're hearing everybody's voices. So I'm glad that this is, this is a platform. That, that actually uh, gives gives that power to students because, you know, it didn't exist before. My hopes for the future uh, in regards to DEI. Okay. Okay, this is where things get a little bit spicy. Well, there, there is, there's a few parts in the letter which um, were a little bit more controversial to all. Um, and... So I'm just going to say it. So there, there were uh, set kind of percentages and guidelines of um, a faculty that we should invite, of uh, professors that we should have in regards to, you know, uh, ethnicity. Um, and that's something that was a little bit, you know, irksome. Uh, I, would, I, I would hope that we, we start looking at um, considering like the uh, credentials rather than uh, ethnicity, just because that was something that it was, it was really hard because the question was, how do we make sure that we have enough of uh, inclusion? You know, how do we make sure that we have enough uh, like Latino or Latina uh, professors? How do we ha make sure we have enough black professors? And then, you know, that's the whole argument with, with uh, BIPOC. And then that is, it's like such a hard thing to measure. I, I don't know where we're going to go with that. But I don't, I don't know. That, <laughs> I don't know. That, that's, that's a very tough question if we're looking into the future. I would just hope that, you know, we really do serve the students with this. And that the students, they're able to get a good education, uh, equitable edu education, uh, inclusive, uh, regardless of, of BIPOC or, or not, you know.
I'm, I'm upset on how many students think that way, um, stemming from like the dis discussion from the like the open letter. I'm, I'm so upset with that, you know, like just the fact that a lot of students, you know, are they they think that by introducing more BIPOC professors and faculty that it would decrease the quality of teaching like <laughs> excuse me like ugh. when it comes to racial disparities you can't just beat around the bush like you have to be aggressive about those kinds of stances because there are a lot of people who don't believe in those kinds of things they they believe in a world where everybody is treated equally and that equality itself is going to wipe away a lot of the discrimination that happens when at the same time, don't recognize that everybody is coming from a different starting point. You know, that like equality in that sense is not benefiting the greater goal. Um, at that point, equity is what we need to work towards and we need to ensure that everybody is starting at the same place. You know, if a black student is disproportionately disadvantaged because of the fact that they're coming from a lower ranking school or they just didn't have private education or, you know, they don't have the financial means to be spending a ton of money on plotting or to be spending a ton of money on, on buying materials to make a model. They're not starting at the same place that a student from a wealthy family who isn't working two jobs and who has financial support is. And equality is not going to make that better. It isn't. Judging them equally is not going to erase the fact that one student had a much better starting place than the other. One thing that I really came away with was there's a lot of problems within our school. And I hesitate to say problems, but at the end of the day, yeah, problems, I guess. Um, a lot of things that I had no idea were happening. A lot of things that I had no idea that the school didn't have plans of action for that I felt were crucial, I guess. Um, the lack of representation um, for specific groups, you know, are, are very... Specifically, African American um, <laughs> faculty, the lack of support for the socioeconomic classes that are within our within our uh, community is absolutely insane. <laughs> you know, all all of the majors: architecture, interior, and ID are all expensive courses. I mean, they're, they're expensive. And the lack of structure and, and care that goes into it is shocking. The DEI task force was one of the first things uh, that we did in response to, uh, to that letter. I formed it. It was a small group. What I asked them to do was to expand as they saw fit, rather than me assigning everybody to the task force that they could reach out to their communities and bring in the people they thought would be most helpful in their task. To 
basically look at the letter that came from the students uh, and begin to assess that letter as it related to everything in the college and all the issues that it brought up and all the issues that uh, came with it in a way that were, others were bringing um, and then try to sort it out into some kind of logical report that sort of covered all the aspects of the college and gave us as a college all these different ways of, of responding. So there are action items, that was the goal, and then say, okay, what are we going to do uh, to address all of these issues? And that's what they did. Second part of it is, you might remember we had a, a town hall, uh, and that was also to make sure that the conversation uh, wasn't just a, a written letter, but in fact a, a dialogue. That led to the CARES effort on the part of the students to keep the dialogue going. And now I think we're at the point where our task is to try to make sure that none of the issues that were presented uh, go by the wayside. Uh, but to be honest, I I didn't have a lot of expectations because I think it's, it's going to be a lengthy process and it will require more than one letter, definitely more than one town hall and many more open conversations that we need to have between students, faculty and the administration. Overall, uh, I would say... I was happy with the response we got from the professors because uh, it was just amazing to be able to openly speak with them and we got a lot of support from them. But I was uh, slightly disappointed in the response we got from the administration. And to my knowledge, I might be wrong, but from what I know, all we got was a response letter and that one town hall. Some of the questions were handled poorly at that town hall. And I, I personally would like to see more accountability and more effort from our administration. Um, <laughs> one thing that I, uh, that I remembered very well was during the town hall, somebody asked if the professors uh, that are in the equity task force were getting paid, and the response was that they were not. And it, um, to me, it seemed a little bit ironic um, that the solution was to form the equity task force and consisting of mostly or of all the BIPOC that we pretty much have in the co-ed and they did not pay them. I definitely appreciate the work that they put in. I'd like to see the administration also appreciate their efforts more. I guess one good thing that came out of it is that my last two 5,500 studios were more uh, community-oriented, and uh, both were focusing on affordable housing in the third ward. There was this email that came in from Trang, and she was asking people to join the DEI task force. They were looking for student representatives um, from each major. And I thought, you know what, why not just try it? You know, I'll sign up, um, and we'll see what happens. I went for it, and to my surprise, I was chosen. What I find very frustrating is the fact that the students worked really hard, especially in care, especially with the open letter. We worked really hard with being transparent, with being open. We had these dialogues open to 
everyone, you know, faculty came, administration came, alumni came, students from all majors and levels came to these discussions. They were all welcome to these discussions. And we tried our hardest to bring everyone to the table and let everyone have a voice and let everyone talk. And I just don't feel that anymore. I don't want to say that I'm not happy, but I'm not particularly satisfied. And I mean, I'm sure there's, you know, there's a lot of things happening behind the scene with Dean and the provost office and next steps, what committees are going to be made next? How can we make these next big changes? I'm sure all of those conversations are happening. But it's frustrating that we're not hearing anything back. We've been left in the dark. You know, even I, as a person who was a representative in the DEI task force. I'm not even sure if we've disbanded after the document was made, if we're just waiting for someone to come and say, hey, um, <laughs> we're coming back now. The, we, we, we got an answer. I don't, I don't, I don't even know. I, I haven't heard anything. So I, I can't even imagine, like, being some student who was just, like, you know, watching from the sidelines and who was just, you know, wanting to see where this went, what they would be thinking right now. You know, they, they, they have no inside news, no, no sources. So it just, it's tough, I guess, because, you know, you put your heart and your soul into something only to kind of give it away to people who so far, you know, haven't been doing the, the best at, at acknowledging these problems. And you just have to wait and see what they'll do next. So yeah, I guess that's, that's how I feel. I mean, I think that the DEI task force report was good. I think that the DEI task force report, though, was on the same plane as the open letter. And I think that what really needs to be happening is uh, for the university or for the college and, you know, all the people who have power in it to kind of get off, you know, like, okay, we've put in the work, like we made the demands, they made the task force report, like, obviously, conversation should be ongoing. And uh, those documents should both be open. But ultimately, um, things need to get done as well. I think it's really uh, disappointing and maybe uh, one of the weaknesses of the past year is that, is like the forgetfulness of our community. You know, we made this document, we made the open letter, we had these dialogues, we had so much conversation, we had a lot of really great ideas. And then of course, like everybody's so overworked, everybody has a job, has studio, whatever. And it, is forgotten about. And the same thing I feel has kind of happened with the DEI task force. You know, they made this report, all these faculty and students invested a ton of time. I think that was a really admirable effort on their part um, and really valuable for our college. And then what happened? Um, we get an email from the dean randomly 
after being told all semester that this task force is going to be standing, that that's not the case, and that her and Professor Vasquez are going to be overseeing <laughs> the continuation of that work. And now, you know, it's been three months, and there's been no update since then. So what's up with that, you know? I think that the promises that that work would be collaborative and that that collaboration would come later, like later, 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 oh, well, we forgot about it. Like, that's a failure to me. I don't think we ever really will reach a point where we can stop doing what we're doing. You can't passively hope that, you know, we make the school diverse. You can't passively hope that we're including all people. It's something you need to be constantly doing. We've done a lot of research. We've come up with action items that we can be doing, but I don't think the DI task force um, is really done with those, our goals yet, because we still want to hire more women like professors. We still want to hire more people of color as professors. We still want to get more people of color into our school. And I just don't think that, you know, I would personally be satisfied saying that, oh, you know, we wrote, we wrote the response. We've written this open letter. We're done. I think there's a lot more that we can do and will continue to do to really make the College of Architecture and Design like a much better place than it already is. And I'm just really looking forward to that. task force has done its job. That task force was, you know, basically we said, thank you very much. And they, uh, they disbanded uh, because the task was complete up to that point. So now it's not really, it doesn't make much sense uh, or it didn't make much sense to us that we would have a small group, a task force or a committee to actually deal with the action items. To me, the action items had to be spread across the entire college. Uh, to create a series of plans for addressing all of the individual issues. There are quite a few, and quite a few areas, and no little tiny group could possibly accomplish all of that. So it really has to be a united effort. Uh, and I think that's actually one of the best parts about it, uh, is that everybody in the college will be engaged in making sure that as we move forward, our efforts are all aligned toward a goal of, of equity and diversity and inclusion. So with the DEI task force, the time that it was in session, I think it was really helpful to um, sit down with faculty and talk through some of the issues that were brought up. But I feel there should be more of that with um, like continued efforts, but I know especially now with COVID and everything, it's hard to, it's a bit harder to collaborate with students, but that hasn't limited us. Um, I would just like to see uh, more of those efforts carried out in a more impactful way. Uh, I think that the Open Letter had successes, and I think that um, a lot of really great things came out of that process. You know, there's a whole generation of students at the college who were involved with something that I think was really radical. I mean, to me, like, as much as it, the process was about 
obviously like anti-racism and the discrimination that exists in uh, the architectural discipline and architectural education like that was the most central thing but I think for a lot of people in maybe a more personal or like basic way it was also about just what you're allowed to ask for from the people who have authority over you you know I think that for myself you know as an upperclassman I guess like I already had some confidence in asking for what I thought I deserved out of my education but I think that definitely through this experience that grew infinitely and I think that for other students who are involved as well like that was something that I hope that this sort of like generation of uh, co-ed students could really take away from the experience that you know we're paying to be here and um the people who are educating us and the people who are managing our education uh, need to understand that they are holding a massive responsibility, um, a massive privilege. They have to answer to us. Like you cannot just ignore the people who are the reason why you have a job. (laughs) Like that is not the way that it works. So, um, I think that that was really powerful and I I'm I really hope that other students maybe were able to take something similar away from the situation that you have a right to ask for what you want out of your education and obviously by extension out of you know your employment um in this discipline for maybe underclassmen who are hearing this or people who are uh younger or newer to the co-ad community I think it's so important to understand that just because someone is a professor or just because someone is administration, just because someone is getting paid and you're paying just because, you know, you may feel that you don't know as much about certain things as the people who are educating you. That doesn't mean ultimately your education is not about them. Uh, your education is about about you. And I think that I would really encourage students to be critical of the education that they're receiving. Um, I think that that's really the most important thing. And I, I mean that on every level, like but when it comes to, you know, is there adequate representation? Like, are you being taught from a variety of perspectives? Um, is your experience being valued, your lived experience? Uh, is the lived experience of your classmates being valued the same as yours? Is it being valued differently? Um, you know, do you understand conversations that are happening it, like throughout the discipline? The things that you thought that you would learn, like, are you learning those things? Like, I think that you should continue asking yourself those questions like pretty constantly. And if you are answering them in ways that make you unhappy, uh, it's your right to, um, you know, to change the answer. And so I think that that is really the biggest thing. And obviously it goes without saying like, uh, the issues that the open letter covered are still incredibly relevant. And, uh, just because, you know, um, we did a report on it or we made some demands about it doesn't mean that those issues are solved, but I do hope that everyone who is involved with the open letter and, you know, everyone at the college can understand Uh, in a deeper way than they did before the past year, the way that white supremacy is complacent in architectural education and in the discipline, and that they can maybe feel a little bit more responsibility for confronting that.
just because you're one person or you're just like a couple people doesn't mean that your opinion doesn't matter, your voice doesn't matter. If you see something, like truly say something. You know, that's really the only way that we can really do any meaningful change and make sure you're keeping yourself educated. That's really the best thing you can do, especially as a student. I just really think that as a human race, we have the power to speak up and take action and to love each other, you know? That's the best thing you can do as a person is just love love on the people around you and making sure that they're happy and they're healthy and they're, you know, feeling loved. I learned a lot about what it means to be a leader and what it means to speak up for what you believe in. I mean, that sounds really cliche, but I was not ever one to challenge the norm or to maybe speak up before this past summer, but I think I learned a lot about um, the value of (laughs) saying, hey, something's not right and something needs to change. You know, we are here as students we have to just constantly question everything because, you know, we're being taught that something is right or something is good or, you know, this is good design, this is, you know, whatever, but it's all kind of objective. It's depending on, you know, what the lens is that your professor maybe is teaching you is um, dictating what you are being taught is right or is good or is accurate historically, you know? So just constantly question what you're being taught you know, constantly question the textbooks that you're reading, constantly question who wrote those textbooks and maybe what were their motivations? Because um, you're not ever going to get, of course, the full story. So just continue, continue to persevere. Keep up the, keep up the good fight. Like looking through a different lens. You know, there are things that come into focus uh, that were there, but you didn't focus in the same way on them. So I think when something, uh, some event in this case, stirred such extraordinary national response that it was a wake-up call and an opportunity to really look through that lens and so, yeah, I think it was, we had a very diverse student body always had. That's a wonderful thing about the college. We got very complacent in a way about that because it's like, oh yeah, well, we're just, we're here. We're all very happy family of diverse individuals. <laughs> and then it was like, well, okay, yeah, we're all here, but we're not really paying attention. So the events of this past year have pushed us into a better place. Mm-hmm and where we can actually acknowledge the richness of that diversity that we do have and begin to nurture it uh, as opposed to just take it for granted. I have right in front of me several pages of, uh, of action items uh, that will keep us busy for some time. So there's a now a mission that's been added to our collective mission that already was there to really make sure that we don't get complacent again. Diversity finds its way into the way we think and the way we work, and also into our, ultimately then, into our professions as we move forward. I think this is something that's going to have to keep a work in progress. Sadly, we've seen our society moves very slowly, but we're just going to have to keep on working and collaborating and communicating, trying to understand each other from a different perspective. And I, I am very hopeful that 
everything will get better. Because um, especially this year, with all these things that have been happening, um, we're able to empathize a little more, you know, like we're kind of like everybody in our own little niche, um, in our own little corner, in our own little studio. But at the end of the day, there is many other people who are in the same situations that we are, who may not share every single exact experience. But there is at least one factor that we have in common. Good people should never be punished for doing good things. And I, I really like believe in that. And I think this is related to that. If, you know, if you're going to, you know, question a system, if it's not you know, helping students, if it's putting students in a disadvantage, <laughs> you should not be punished for fighting for that, you know? And I think a lot of students are scared to speak out on these things. It's not enough to be just like not racist. That's not enough. You have to be anti-racist and these kind of demands need to be strong, you know? It seems like every single time with, there was like a sort of demand and like a question as to why is this not being done yet like there's always some sort of like you know i'm sure they're not bs reasons but to me they seem like they're they're just bs reasons that's you know, like oh like this and that like there's so many barriers to things that as students we have like a right to like am i satisfied with the response like no one of the things that i've noticed is that students actually come to the co-ed afraid to ask questions and this is because they they feel like they don't deserve to ask these questions they feel like they they don't deserve to ask for help and that is not their fault we cannot blame them for that people have so many backgrounds and we as a college need to help empower these students i know several students who have left the studio because you know personal crisis not passing and other things and it's traumatizing and it's heartbreaking it's so hard to come back into you know school and studio um after not passing and I want those students to know that they did not fail the professor failed them I want that to sink in anybody you listen to this they did not fail the professor failed them as a student body we failed them as an upperclassman who could have reached out to those students who could have helped and listened and understood where they were coming from I failed them that's frustrating that even after like the, the like the the making of the open letter and you know students becoming more and more like aware of these sort of like things and like why why and like more of this is gonna happen if we don't have dialogue if we don't do something you know about it like and there could be other students out there who are facing other worse things and like it it's just so upsetting to me that like we're just gonna you know let that happen like i want i want the students who are incoming and i'm only a third year but i you know like the incoming students who are gonna listen to this in the future like really question like what you deserve like i'm i'm sure i went on a rant and i i went on a tangent i just i'm i'm happy that it made me feel this way i'm happy that i'm seeing these things now and we need to do better we we really do need to do better and i say we because i am part of the student body students are part of the student body the freshmen are part of the student body every like everybody inside the co-ed is part of the student body like that is our college culture i think everybody should question themselves why are they really in design and you know maybe spark dialogue from there we need dialogue we need to talk 
Every everybody needs to talk. Oh, I'm I'm scared that it's gonna die out. I'm scared that people are not gonna question it. I'm scared that you know more of these cases of you know that us failing our students like I'm scared that that's still gonna continue. You know if we could have you know gotten rid of these barriers, if we could have reached out more, if we could have helped more, and as designers we could do better. There there's a shift. And I, I can feel it. There's there is a shift and there's a rising kind of like feeling among the student body on keeping people accountable for things. I want more from the school and I want more from our student body. I want more from myself and I want to be better. I don't know. I guess knowing that people still care is always important. And knowing that people will hear about this people who didn't even know this was happening because i'm sure a lot of people didn't um <laughs> didn't realize just how deep this went knowing that now you know maybe they will and maybe there's gonna be someone out there who was just like me back in the day who thinks we can do that we can bring up things that we find to be unjust to the administration. We can have these dialogues. We can have these conversations. We can ask these questions. And then maybe they'll start asking questions too. You know, I think one of the most important things about leadership is to create a legacy that's not just about you, but about what you did for others, I guess. You know, it's one thing to be a great leader. It's another thing to be a leader that inspires other people to lead as well. Maybe uh, nothing substantial will change in my time here. I mean, I'm graduating in a year from now. I mean, I hope something will be able to change. I, I hope we'll see change in that time, but you know, maybe we won't. But hopefully all of the years under me and then some will hear that this is something that has happened and can continue to happen. You know, this is a place where you can talk and be heard. And hopefully this is a place where people will listen. I would, I would like to commend everybody who participated in either the open letter by coming and telling us about their life stories and their struggles. I mean, you, we listened to you, you were heard. I want you to know that it wasn't all for nothing. It might feel like that at times, but it really wasn't. You know, I and the other, you know, writers of this letter put a lot of time and effort into making sure that your thoughts and your opinions were heard and that you had a platform on which to stand and ask for a better education, ask for more equitable and more, you know, socially driven projects and experiences in your college career. So I, I, I don't want people to see all the effort that was put into the open letter and see all the effort that was put into care and the dialogues and think that it was for nothing because it did have meaning. What I would say more so to that is that it hasn't stopped, you know, just because we didn't continue on the care dialogues this semester doesn't mean that it's the only way that we can 
engage with our school community and engage with our administration. You know, I, I don't want to say that the next step is having more care dialogues or that the next step is another task force or that the next step is, you know, some other thing that's been tried in the past. I think that what was really iconic and what was really impactful about the open letter was the fact that we had never done anything like that in the past. And it just caught everyone completely off guard and they were forced to look at face on and read it and try to process what we were trying to tell our administration. You know, I, I think that what needs to happen next is we need to have new students approach the table to have this conversation with us. We need to have engaged administration approach the table to have conversations with these new students. You know, our administration have had these jobs for years. We're only here for four to five years, or I guess two if you're a graduate student. And it doesn't sound like a lot of time, but a lot can happen in a year. I mean, our global world has changed in a year due to COVID. And I think that by passing on the torch or passing on the baton to underclassmen who value these, you know, and have see these things as priorities to their education, to, to the global, you know, society and our, and our global view of, of architecture and design. I think that that is only going to benefit us even more because you are going to be the ones that bring the next like inspire inspirational idea. You know, we came up with the open letter and we thought that that was the right idea. I'm not saying it was the wrong idea, but we need something else like that. And we need more people to be contributing to those types of initiatives to continue surprising our administration and continue surprising our faculty and continue showing them that we are engaged and that we are excited and that we want the best out of our education. You know, they teach us to be critical thinkers they teach us to be explorative of the world. They teach us to be engaged with not just society, but also with history, with also, you know, critical with ourselves. And I think that those are the types of skills that we, in turn, need to apply to the things that we care about most. And for me, diversity, equity, and inclusion is a top priority in my life. You know, I, I think that that is at the root of it all, my main thing that I would ask of, you know, anybody listening to this is to just find people who are similarly minded to you and come up with that crazy idea and just do it. You know, it costs us no money to write the open letter. The only thing that it cost us was time and effort. And we started a huge movement that, I would hate to see die out. But yeah, that's just me. What are my thoughts in general? Um, I think this was a start. It's a very slow start. And uh, the change that, you know, we've demanded, the change that the DEI committee um, that they recommended, it's going to take a very long time to make effective change. And so it's very disheartening to, you know, have put in all this work into the open letter, putting all this work into DEI, um, and, you know, feeling that it's not going anywhere. And um, I don't think that's the case. There's still changes happening, and whether that's from the administrative level or professors in their own studios. And so that that's the important thing, that change is happening. Um, and, you know, we just have to be patient with that.
Um, so I, I am hopeful that, you know, we're going to leave an impact on the college. You know, even as alumni, you know, we still have to speak up and check in on um, our college. And so that, you know, the future students uh, still have a better opportunity that we did, you know, all the tough conversations through um, the Coalition for Anti-Racist Education, uh, through DEI, the town hall, it, it was all kind of uncomfortable, but it was never for us. It was always for the future. Um, so I hope, you know, when someone hears either this podcast or uh, thinks about the letter, thinks about anything, any of these awkward conversations or um, anything, no, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a personal attack on anyone. Um, and know that like, you know, we did this for the future. Um, and, you know, the, the idea was to change the future for the children and then hopefully leave an impact on our industry because that's where you can make effective change. Um, with like such a small voice. And so I hope students know that they're able to question their administration. They're able to question the faculty, obviously politely, <laughs> but you know, we, we should not be silent. We're all designers at the end of the day. We should all have an equal voice at the table. And so I hope that happens. Um, I also hope that more transparency comes um, from the college on all levels. Um, you know, I, I hope that the college sees us as equals and not just as students. You know, we're all adults and we're all designers and so that's the important part. Um, we have to know uh, what's going on. Thank you for listening to Sorry I'm in Studio, a podcast produced and presented by the Cleisthenes chapter of APX. If you're interested in joining us, check us out on Instagram at APX underscore And follow us at Sorry I'm in Studio on Instagram for the latest graphics and episode trailers. The dialogue continues.